sifter.com.au. Hello and welcome to Lightmap from Sifter. On Lightmap, we have conversations and explore the culture of video games and interactive media and you meet game makers from all around the world. My name is Johnny. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, my guest this week is Ivan Popiol, who's an artist from Brainwash Gang. Uh, works on the upcoming Leica Age Through Blood, which is described as a motorvania and has some incredible character and world design. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. We're really excited to learn a little bit more about your game um, and excited to have you on the show. But before we dive into our chat, let's find out what's been making the news this week on Walkthrough, which is Sifter's weekly news podcast. Hi, I'm Kyle Paletto. And I'm Gianni De Giovanni. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 5th of May. Escape from Tarkov developers relent, allowing access to PvE mode for players who bought an all-DLC bundle, but not before saying, sorry, you're mad. Solo developed Manor Lords and indie city builder break sales and Steam records. Take-Two shuts down studios behind Kerbal Space Program and Oli Oli World. And we wrap all the cool things announced at ID at Xbox. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. You're listening to Lightmap, interesting conversations with video game creators. For people who haven't come across the game before, what is Leica Age Through Blood? So uh, Leica is a Motorvania, which is like a, a Metroidvania but on wheels. And Leica is about a mother who is a coyote warrior. Um, and she has to, basically the story is about um, saving the village and protecting the village against uh, armed uh, bird forces. Uh, that are attacking the, the whole wasteland they live in. And yeah, uh, it has a, a pretty gruesome story. And and the the gameplay is it's very similar to the to the mini game things that were on 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 web games like 10 years ago. Very reminiscent of those flash games that you'd find on Newgrounds. Is that the sort of the uh, inspiration behind it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, we 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 loved the, these games when we started making our little game time experiments, and when we started making Leica, we made it as a small prototype, thinking that it was going to be just that a uh, little arcade game, but it it has grown quite quite a bit. Now, those games are very famous for being very difficult. Is that something that you wanted to recreate when you were making your game, or did you want to make it more approachable for all sorts of different players? So everything we've been doing is trying to make it approachable, but basically the gameplay is doing the that thing that was super hard on the little Flash games, but also you have to shoot, and in order to reload, you have to doing a whole backflip so uh, it, it's it's not we are trying to make it as accessible as possible but even doing that it's a challenge a pretty challenging game 
It's interesting because another similarity that came to me was, of course, um, the Ubisoft Trials series, especially, you know, when you don't make the jump and you land on your head and that's it, you're dead, you've got to restart. Was there inspiration there or is it um, just a sort of coincidence that they're kind of drawing on the same idea? So, um, Edu, who is the, like, the main thinking person uh, of the team, uh, he loves those kinds of games and also the skate, there's all the skate games. So, yeah, yeah, we love them. So, can you tell me how long has this project been in development? Because we've uh, there's a demo available now for people to play and it looks really nicely polished. And I'm wondering how long has your team been working together? On this game, we've been working on it um, technically since four years ago, but like a year and a half. Uh, prior to now, uh, we scrapped everything that we had, had made and we started anew because before that um, we were in a period of the, of the where the team didn't have funding and we ba basically said, okay, um, we're going to try and develop as many prototypes and polish them and make them um, like really shiny so that maybe if we have a couple of them, Mm, the chances of us getting good funding for the team are higher. So the first two years that we spent de developing the, the first Leica, it was super different. The story was like, uh, first it was mm, more arcade, then it was more linear, and we changed the story like two or three times. And uh, the, we had uh, an entire... Uh, wasteland wall that giant of art uh, all hand drawn and we it all went is that hard to do to take all of the work that you'd done and and throw it away no quite the opposite actually because uh, something that's very common with uh, small teams that we have to uh, make things fast and and change a lot of things fast is that uh, when when we are on a long project we find that okay, uh, we have been changing everything and it looks absolutely nothing like what we started making. So all the programming systems are are making it very hard to work. All the art is like, okay, I, I have to keep doing what I was doing in the beginning, even though it, it, it doesn't have, make much sense now. So uh, I think it was a privilege to be able to throw it all away and start like, okay, now we know what we have to make. We know what doesn't work and what maybe we think it should work. So it's been it's been it's been my favorite development, really. Can you tell me a little bit about your team? Um, is this a, a relatively new um, team to game development, or are you, do you have a big experience in working with lots of other games in the past? So the our team started with uh, Edu started making uh, small flash games on Newgrounds. And they were all uh, games and uh, kind of political games. And the thing, he started recruiting, recruiting people. And when we realized we were like 10, 15 people developing lo longer and longer games. And so like we've been getting together like a band of pirates. And the way we are now, we kind of still work like a band of pirates. We have a horizontal structure, so everyone basically in a legal in legal terms, we all are like 
owners of what we make in the same way. We don't have super, since everyone, we were, we came from doing lots of small game jams. So most of the team, we like to do everything and be able to touch everything. So for our team, it, it didn't make sense to have very specific roles. So do you describe your team a bit like a workers' cooperative? Is that kind of the words you use to describe how it works, if everyone owns the same proportion? We tried to make it a cooperative when we had to make it a legal thing. But here in Spain, there's not many video game studios that, that are like legally constituted. So having really legal advice on doing a cooperative was... We, we didn't feel... We were a little scared about how publishers would, if it would make things harder or everything. But um, if uh, with the current developments we have right now, we get more stability, uh, our intentions is to be like a full cooperative. Nice one. That's really exciting. I think that's a really great way for, for small teams to work together. Um, you talked a little bit about the game being a Motovania, and I'm just curious, when you are playing the game, how close is it to that Metroidvania style that we know, where you kind of get powers, backtrack, come back to areas that you've done? Is that sort of how the, the game sort of plays? Sort of. Um, because of how you navigate the game, it's... It's like it's not we we can take most things from other Metroidvanias, but uh, like getting a new skill and thanks to getting that new skill you can get to new places that that's in the game. But for for the rest, it's like okay, there's there's no no. Where do we get references to to? make an, a navigation like that. It's really, I don't know. I think right now it works really nicely, but until very few months back, it was like, I'm not sure. I, I've never played anything that looks like this. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the, you know, you said your team worked together as a small little group of pirates, as you described it, which I love. Um, you know, talk about some of the design um, uh, and, you know, that also the political aspect of it, because obviously uh, looking at the art style of it, you know, Newgrounds is quite a political place. And there's this game got quite of a political undercurrent to it as well. A lot less than what we are used to. Uh, we are used to making games that are more like uh, we made Grotto um, before this one that was like uh, about uh, reading the stars and basically a game where you can jump or you can shoot. And before this, we made another game that was in black and white and uh, it doesn't even have dialogue or anything. Yeah, we've been trying to, since the team has gotten bigger and bigger, um, we've been trying to go to like not be so obvious about it. But uh, we still sneak things in it. Can we talk about some of the character designs um, and the the choice to make it a, a world inhabited by animals? Where did that idea come from? Did you just is it? You, do you have a lot of people in your team who are big into uh, you know anthropomorphic animals and all that sort of thing? Not really. I think I think I'm the only one that's sort of uh, into anthropomorphic animals, but. 
since the beginning we've been making games with animal characters because they are just um, they make everything very easy to represent. If you make a character that's like a fox, uh, you basically know what to expect. And and as a as a maker of things, uh, you can subvert those expectations that the player may have. So I don't know. It's it's like our signature with everything and. And since we've always been making games in this um, underground, with this underground vibe, I see it more as an underground signature than as a like a furry thing. Even though I'm, I'm I, I love furries too. Tell me a little bit about some of the character designs as well, because it, to me, it looks like uh, you know this is a sort of a, a wasteland world, um, and there are things in this that look similar to other wasteland games in there. But tell me, when you're designing this world, what were you inspired by? One of, one of the games that I like the most, like aesthetically, is uh, Lisa the Painful. Um, so the the whole vibe that I've been thinking about when doing the characters is is the character from that game. And also, maybe it's like less obvious, but the all the Undertale characters, like how they are all really quirky and in a very strange world. Uh, I really like. I I've wanted to put that in with a, our own language of the game. What about the world itself? The environments that you're you're traversing through. With the environments, we started trying to make it more like no plants and no nothing, like the typical um, uh, apocalyptic world. But as we kept developing the game, uh, we thought that it would be more interesting to try to explore a pre-apocalyptic setting and try to think. It was super fun to try to think, like, how would a world look like before everything explodes. I, I love the design of our main character, and also I was really sort of drawn to the, the designs of the of the enemies that you you face in the demo. And the, the birds have got a very kind of fascist looking style to them. Um, can you tell me, like, um, you know, what are the some of the the sort of real world influences in the, in the designs that um, people will be able to recognize? Mostly, we tried to. When we started developing the game, we had more obvious uh, references. The, the the soldiers are obviously U.S. soldiers, and but uh, as we kept developing it, uh, we tried to be like, try to enrich it and add more layers to it. So um, with the village, uh, we didn't want to make it mm, like uh, uh, an actual culture. Uh, we try to mix a lot of cultures and also mix uh, some ideas of permaculture and reusing scraps and anything that they would find in this kind of world. And in the end, that even though we started like at a, a very cartoon, simple uh, reference point, uh, when we keep adding layers to it and a lot of people on the team keep adding things onto it, uh, in the end, I really like that it, it looks very, like, different and complex. Uh, it's my favorite part about working the way we work, uh, that every every single asset, I don't feel, even though I've drawn it or whatever, I feel like it's a compilation of everyone on the team adding things. Can you tell me, uh, you know, 
how far along are you in the development process of this game? Um, you know, f from what I've played, it feels really polished, but uh, is it a game that you're expecting that people will be able to play later this year? Yeah, yeah, uh, it will be this year for sure. Um, we are right now, we are finishing like the last bugs and things because it has to be ready for porting and for all the translations and everything. So it's, it's done, basically. <laughs> I always like to ask people who, who work on things creatively what aspect of the thing they've made that they're really proud of, um, something that you look at and go, wow, this is just my best work that I've ever done. What is that for you? It's really hard because I'm not, I started being, when you're an artist, you start being like very proud of like, look, I made this super big uh, building. It's it's really cool. But right now I'm like, when I see that the, um, the, um, the trailers and the animated stuff, it's like, wow, uh, we, the combination of everything we made, uh, it has amounted to, we have been able to give it a, to, a, uh, to the animation studio and they made like, it looks the, like a real video game. I don't know. Does it feel a bit like, you know, sometimes you kind of have to pinch yourself a little bit to think that you're making something Something really real that people will be able to play very soon? Especially with Laika, like, it's it's a huge game for us. We, hadn't, we have never made a game like this before. And the fact that we are such... We, we are very few people, but, um, for example, Josue, who, uh, who is some, the, one of the two people who is um, writing the game, he has uh, a lot of experience uh, writing games, and like um, we have uh, a lot of friends from the industry, from the local industry, who have a lot more experience than us and who have helped us so much. So when when everything adds up, like all the the year of development and the years that we've scrapped and all the people working on it together, it's like wow. Because making video games is basically like a miracle. Every time, anytime anyone can finish a game, it is a miracle. I think that's a really nice way to describe it. Um, can you tell uh, people who might be listening, who might not be familiar with this Spanish game development scene, um, what is it like? Uh, are they really big studios? Is it smaller teams like yours? How does it sort of work uh, locally? So basically we have um, really big companies who come here because... Uh, the weather is nice and the uh, salaries are not so high and, and they they set uh, office here and then we have basically mercury's team who do the, the the metroid games and then it's like there's a, uh, there's tequila studios there's the the game kitchen and apart from that we are like little pirates basically and uh, there's not a lot of there, there's no publishers and there's not a lot of funding to be found here so mm, everyone who is living uh, making a, a living in games uh, it's because they've had to do miracles and get a lot of help from other people who have more experience and stuff is it this sort of place where lots of people can be drawn to move to other countries? You know, there's 
big AAA studios in other parts of Europe and it's easy to move between places. Is, is that something that happens locally? Yeah, uh, a lot of my colleagues, uh, they have moved to like the UK and other countries from the from Europe because like there uh, in those countries, there's actually a, a really thriving game the community there. And here it's like, it's nice, it's nice and it's getting nicer year by year but we have to build it. And if you don't have the resources and if you can't live in your parents' home while you try to look for a job, uh, it's like, uh, I can't build anything. I'm starving. Can you tell me, are there anything that you've included in the game uh, that are just uh, like, you know, references to living in Spain? Is that uh, something you'd like to, that, that people who might be familiar with that won't be able to pick up on? I'm just wondering how much of your, you know, of your home that you've put into the game. So that, that, that's something that we're, I, I, we're not super proud of it, but we found that if we mm, Americanize our games, uh, it's a lot easier to understand. So we don't really put a lot of, like, Obviously, when I do things like the billet in Leica, uh, my my internal references are like, okay, uh, the hometown of my mother's hometown. But since we try to make it as accessible and as easy to understand to people, uh, it, it's not very obvious references or like there's not so, something that you can say that's that's Spanish. Is that a hard thing? You said you're not super proud that that's the way you had to do, but is that a hard thing to do for a creative team? Hmm. I mean, the the easy thing really for people who live in countries that are not like um, English speaking is to to use the English speaking references because that's uh, all the video games we play are filled with those references we understand them like 100%. So the really the, the complex part is is taking the things that you live with. It's, it's very strange to add. Because Spanish is one of the biggest languages in the world and surely people must have a, you know, a strong cultural association with that. So, you know, is it is it, you know, South America for example and all all other parts of the world have huge Spanish speaking populations. I'm I'm just wondering is that still too small? when you think about America, Australia, the UK? I, I don't think it's small uh, at all. Um, but the, I think the, the main thing is that even South America and everyone in other countries, um, we are used to consuming things that are not our culture. So when we, when we make something that's based on our culture, it's like a quirk or something that you sell the game with, like, uh, look, the special thing about Blasphemous is that it's it's like Dark Souls, but Spanish. And so, mm, I don't know. I think we had to. The the I think there's a problem with the video games industry as a whole. Um, in a lot of other topics, not just like the things that we represent, it, and it's that we're not a very mature. Um, the, the, uh, the word um, industry we're not a very mature industry yet uh, we still have to it's still like we have to put like a, with a, the um, 
Laika is labeled as a, a female protagonist game. That you don't do that with movies. It's it's weird when you think about it, but that's where we are. And when we keep moving forward and understand games more as cultural things, interactive things, I think the female protagonist label will go away. The representing cultures will not even be a, a thing we'll think about. I, f I find it interesting. Australia is a, a country that's obviously, you know, tied to English and European, but we still feel in the shadow of America culturally um, as a place. And it's sometimes hard to make things that uh, feel Australian actually Australian and not uh, tied to that. And, you know, we often think of it as sort of like a cultural imperialism. And I'm just wondering, is that something that you feel as a, as a game creator? Yeah, absolutely. Um uh, because of what I said before, we are so used to... I don't think we know how to make video games with Spanish things or with things that are not like American or English. We have to learn how to make them. And the I, a lot of people make games with uh, local references and for one reason or another, they don't work. Uh, but when there's mm, enough games of those and we we collectively have had time to like um, get together and analyze them and look at them and see what worked and what didn't um, it will eventually be more of a thing i think you mentioned that the game is nearly done and you're kind of working on the final touches now when will people be able to to get their hands on it and you know if they want to try out some what's the best place for them to find out more about the game and uh, you can follow us at uh, our twitter brainwash gang brainwash underscore gang i don't remember and and yeah in the in the steam forums and everything we also have a discord uh, we also have a where we can there's a space to talk about all the games and we post uh, all our news. And what are you most excited for when the game is out? Uh, are you excited to have the project finished? Are you excited to see people discover secrets in the game? What is it? Uh, exci what excites you about finishing this game? Uh, the, the thing that excites me the most about every single game that we make uh, is the fan art. It's great. It's great. I, I, I work for getting fan art. I, having a look at some of the trailers and the, the character designs of this, I can already imagine the artists are getting ready already to, to create amazing things. So I think you might be well well catered for in that regard. I hope so. Uh, Ivan, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, we'd love to chat to you and the team a little bit more uh, as you go along. Um, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me here. It's been fun. Australia's best video game podcast. This is Lightmap. Get every episode free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and sifter.com.au.
So the game is called Leica Age Through Blood. You can find a link to the game in the show notes of this episode. I'll put one in there or search for it for it on Steam. Um, you can uh, find out everything that we've talked about by going to our website, which is sifter.com.au. Sifter is produced by Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Adam Christou, uh, Chris Button, and Mitch Lowe is senior producer. And my name is Gianni Di Giovanni, uh, and I'm the executive producer. And while you're online, um, why not uh, give us a rating or a review? We do appreciate it. We're a small, very small collective as well. So, you know, we rely on you uh, giving us uh, the thumbs up if you enjoy what we like. So go to your podcast player or get on YouTube and leave us a comment. We really appreciate it. That's all the time we have for now. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Until next time, have fun. Chris Button here from Drop Rate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Unicorn Overlord might have a strange name, but don't dismiss its tactical prowess. It uses a, a tactics mode, um, and, which is similar to the Gambit system that was in Final Fantasy XII for your um, uh, your squad mates. And you can say, okay, well, you know, Hodrick, who's my legionnaire with the big shield, I want him to prioritize protecting the back row. They're going to take the most damage. If they take a physical hit, they're going to go down, but I need them to be protected. So you can get quite granular with this, and I reckon you can build some pretty wild builds that are <laughs> totally game-breaking, um, but it's kind of the fun of the tactical squad-based gameplay in Unicorn Overlord. Tune in to Drop Rate to find out why Unicorn Overlord might just be one of 2024's sleeper hits. Available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.